0: Oh, just when I feel like I've forgiven someone, like I get bit on the ass and then I'm like, what? Gotta go through this again? And it's always about me and not them. Do your best to forgive the people that have harmed you, even if they never asked for forgiveness, because most likely they won't. Even if they have never apologized, even if they're still out being an asshole, it is for you. It says everything about you and it says nothing about them. They don't need to know that you're working on it. They don't They don't need to know. This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 277.
1: This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no
2: BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass.
0: And here's your host the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so excited because today is my birthday. You might be wondering why did the podcast drop on a Monday instead of a Wednesday for those of you who are subscribers, who listen to the podcast right away. Thank you, by the way. That is so incredibly just amazing of you. But yes, usually the podcast episodes drop on a Wednesday, and we decided, hey, Andrea's birthday is on a Monday. I don't know why I'm talking in the third person, because I'm the one that made the decision. (laughs) Yeah, told my team, this episode will drop on my birthday, which is April 15th, tax day. Big high five to any other tax day baby birthdays out there, and it's my 44th birthday, And I have a special three-part podcast episodes slash series for you. 44 things I have learned in 44 years. But that's not all. Okay, so get this. This is mildly embarrassing that... It's been this long, and I just several weeks ago checked to see what is the birthday or anniversary, whatever you call it. Let's call it a birthday. What is the birthday of the podcast? Because I knew it had been several years since I've had the podcast. I found out it's May 1st, which is not that long after my actual birthday. So we are celebrating both my birthday, and the birthday of the podcast. The podcast is turning six years old on May 1st, which is so exciting. I And for those of you that don't know, here's how the podcast started, was born. because And this was before everybody and their mother had a podcast, so they were just starting to warm up. And I was writing my first book, 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, and I honestly could not come up with anything new to blog about. So for four years prior, I was blogging. And then I started writing this book, and I was like, there's just no way. I can't create blog posts and write this book because all of my creative energy was going to this book. And so I thought to myself, I'm just going to turn on a microphone and figure out this podcast thing. (laughs) Emily, who's been with me forever and ever, amen, I was like, hey, Em, can you figure out how to do a podcast? (laughs) Let's do this. So we did it. And I sort of flew by the seat of my pants at first. Those beginning, I don't even know if they're still around. The first probably 20 episodes are just painful to listen to. I didn't, I didn't have my, my best podcast pants on yet. And it's just evolved over time. And thank you so much to all of you who have been with me from the beginning. Or for those of you, you know, what are the best messages when people message me and they're like, I just found your podcast and I've been binging. I've listened to the first 100 or something. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) can I kiss you? That means so much to me that you do that. Thank you so much. And I know that there are so many loyal listeners and even new listeners. Thank you to you too. So what we're doing to celebrate, I'm getting to the point here, celebrating my 44th birthday as well as the six-year birthday of your Kick Ass Life podcast. We're doing some giveaways. We're doing some drawings. And all you have to do is go to your slash birthday. And you can read all about the prizes. You can read how to enter and win some pretty cool prizes. We're doing gift cards to Nordstrom and Amazon. Somebody's gonna win a free coaching session with me. I'm giving away books. I'm giving away the books of my friends. Susan Hyatt, who wrote the book Bear, she was on a recent episode. She's giving away a copy. My dear friend, Kate Swoboda, wrote a book called The Courage Habit. She's giving away a copy. So there's a lot of things that you can win. I'm so excited for this. I don't do this often enough. I really don't. And you can tell by my voice how excited I am. Even my dog is like kind of looking up at me like, why is she so excited? Are we going to go out for a run? No, not right now. It's raining outside. But we are doing this giveaway, and I'm pumped for it. And I just really, really love to give back to all of you. I have two more other exciting things. Scratch that. I can only tell you about one of them. <laughs> the other one is coming soon. Just give me like four podcast episodes or so and I'm going to I'm gonna announce something exciting, a change over here on the podcast that is going to positively impact all of you. But the one thing I can tell you is that I officially have made the decision to start writing my third book. And it's really one of those things, y'all, where, oh my God. So I had the idea a while back, really, I think even when I was, I might've been writing my second book and I had this idea for a title, which I'm not going to tell you yet. And it does have a swear word in it, obviously, but I had this idea for this book and I casually mentioned it to my literary agents and my literate, well, I have two, they're a married couple. And Michelle said to me, she said, she has this like, slight Jersey accent, and I love her so much. She's brilliant. And she said, you're not ready. You don't have that excitement in your voice. When you have that excitement in your voice, you call me. And I'm like, okay. So many, many, many months go by, and it was one of those things where I'm just, I get quiet, and I go a little bit inward, and I'm kind of paying attention to what's going on in publishing and what books are really popular right now. Because you have to be smart about it. I think you do. I think it's just smarter (laughs) to pay attention to those types of things. And at the same time, follow your creative juices, your creative genius. And for me, here's what happens with an idea like that it starts to buzz in my head and I start to obsess on it. And I'm having conversations. It's kind of like how I used to be with wine, but this is way different. (laughs) It's way better for me. (laughs) I used to obsess on wine. You know, someone would be talking to me and I'm like, only like, I don't know, maybe 15% paying attention. You know, my husband's trying to tell me something important that's going on at work and wants my support and I'm like, "Uh-huh, uh-huh," I'm like totally thinking about this book. And I know that only goes on for maybe 48 hours or so and I know I need to jump on it. I know it's I f- almost like I feel pregnant. Like I have to birth this idea. And I know probably so many of you are like that with things, you know, like this idea that you have or this th- project that needs to be born. It's wanting to be born. And so I knew that I needed to do it. But at the same time, part of me is like, what? What? Why? No, it's so much work and just all dramatic about it. But alas, I guess this is just, you got to take the good with the bad. You got to take the good with the bad and it's all worth it. It's a thousand percent worth it. So I'm turning in my outline to them in about a week. So by the time you listen to this, I will have given them an outline and it goes from there. And then, oh my God, if I, I just, I'm I'm thinking about it and I'm like, am I going to be writing, am I going to sign a contract before the summer even comes and then be writing a book for the rest of 2019? I might. But the thing is, is, it's the same way I felt about 52 ways and how to stop feeling like shit. And this is what I've been telling my friends. And I'm like, I can't not do it. I can't, I can't not do it. It is like a baby wanting to be born, like you just can't it's going to happen. And when that bug hits me, that is I feel like where the magic comes from, and that I could not force it if I tried if I, if someone gave me an idea and said, "Can you write this book i and I like, yeah, I could it would be painful and it would be shit. It would be complete. <laughs> Shit. But this, I'm so excited to write to you, and I feel like it's what you all need. And I feel like it's what needs to come out of me. So, enough about that. Let me bring you 44 things I have learned in 44 years. I'm breaking this up into three parts because I can tend to be a little verbose, and I like it when these podcast episodes are about 30 minutes, maybe no longer than about 30 minutes. So, I'm going to try to keep it to that. So I'm going to give you, I don't know, I think the first 14 or so, and then next week you'll get the next 14. And then after that, which I believe is right on or around May 1st, then uh, you'll get the remainder. So here we go. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt
2: Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.
1: I'm
3: Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together, we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell, laughing in
2: the face of motherhood.
1: Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct.
2: Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs)
0: right. 44 things I've learned in 44 years. And I probably nobody knows this. It's like one of those things where I make up that everybody pays attention way more than they actually do. But several years ago, when I turned 38, I wrote 38 things that I've learned in 38 years. And I went back to that post and I was like, these are really smart. So (laughs) some of these are from that because I just felt like they were really brilliant. And so some of them are repeats, but here's the first 14 of the 44 Things. Number one is cleaning up my own messes is the best way to sleep at night. This means apologizing when I've been an asshole and just generally doing my best to fix things I've made a mess of. And I love that this one is first. And this is something I also have taught to my children, and I talk about when you screw up and i refer to it as making a little bit of a mess and just like i teach my children to clean up the messes that they leave in the kitchen in their rooms etc you clean up a mess when you have made it with another human and it is one of those things that i feel like is it really does come with maturity right like i i never I it was like pulling teeth to get me to apologize when I was younger and even in my 20s because I was so ashamed of my behavior and it was it was vulnerable it's so vulnerable to look someone in the face and say I screwed up and I'm sorry and I never knew how profoundly that can what that can bring to a relationship and how much connection that can bring to a relationship and just also how much in alignment it was with my own values of responsibility and courage to do something like that. So yeah, cleaning up my own messes is the best way to sleep at night. Number two, taking radical responsibility for my life is the only option. No one else is responsible for my happiness. No one This one was a hard lesson to learn. (laughs) Oh, I wanted it to be somebody else's responsibility. I think I resisted because I I just I had this belief that it was easier if I tried to control someone else to bring me happiness, to be the source of my happiness, than it was to do it on my own. And then I, I think I also had to reach this tipping point where it felt where I understood maybe that oh, this is, this is what freedom is, to free myself from the shackles of wishing and hoping and praying that somebody else would get their shit together enough so that I would be happy. That feels like freedom. And whew, that was a hard lesson to learn. I held on to that one, being up to somebody else for a long time, which is indirectly related to number three, which is my children don't define me. I used to think becoming a mother would be my ultimate life purpose. It isn't. I used to have a lot of guilt and shame about that, but I don't anymore. And hey, listen, if you feel like being a mother is your ultimate life purpose, then run with it. Then that's your life purpose. I don't judge anyone else. For believing whatever their life purpose is. That belongs to you. Just like your values, that is not up for judgment or ridicule or criticism from anybody else. So I'm not here to judge you if that feels like your life purpose. For me, these are 44 things I've learned in 44 years about my life I used to think that that was my life purpose, and then what ended up happening is they were born, and I love them, and I love being a mother. I always wanted to be a mother. I feel so incredibly grateful and blessed to have had the experience that I had, even just I feel like I hit the jackpot with my children as well, and I felt unfulfilled having my identity be wrapped up in that, in being a mother. I wanted to work. I wanted to do other things besides mothering. And I felt like the culture was telling me, no, 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 no. This is supposed to be it for you. This is supposed to be the thing that is your purpose and your ultimate fulfillment, and it was fulfilling but i felt like there were other things that were equally as fulfilling that were going to fill my cup and were also important like it was all important that one wasn't the primary and all of, and it didn't really matter it wasn't like this is my first best friend this is my second best friend no it all mattered i wanted to experience it all maybe that's what they're talking about when they say having it all so that's what that looked like for me and like I said, I used to have a lot of guilt and shame about that. And I felt like that because I didn't feel like mothering was my ultimate life purpose, that said something about the way that I feel about my children. And I had to get to a place where I knew in my heart, in my soul, that that said nothing about who I am as a mother. It said nothing about how I feel about my family or my children. It just was my experience with my life and with motherhood. All right. Number four, no relationship will complete me. Not a single one. Again, this goes back to <laughs> taking radical responsibility for my own life. I went through years, if not decades, thinking that a partnership was the thing that was going to complete me, finding the right partner. Why the fuck can I find the right partner? Why do I keep picking the wrong partners? And I thought that I was incomplete without having this other half of me. There are movies that actually tell us that, right? And, you know, you complete me. It's like, oh my God, give me a barf bag. And it was, I, I feel like the relationship that I have now with my husband could not be where it is unless I had gone through that fall down on my face moments of, really thinking that a relationship was going to complete me, finding out that it wasn't, finding out the hard way that it wasn't, and then getting up and going, okay, autonomy is important. I need to understand who I am first and foremost as a complete whole woman before I decide to give someone else my heart and build a life with someone. That was hard too that one was hard. <laughs> Number five, taking the edge off in quotes, taking the edge off really needed to be examined. For me, I was taking off all the edges and sometimes edges just need to be dealt with. And I have a whole recovery series for those of you that are interested in hearing more about if you're new or newer to the podcast. I got sober in 2011. If you go to yourkickasslife.com slash recovery. You can check out all of, there's 20 podcast episodes, I believe, that are specifically on that. And yeah, that whole term, taking the edge off, I need to just take the edge off. And as someone with chronic anxiety, I felt like the taking the edge off, what we what is culturally acceptable to do so, was the thing that was keeping me from the rest of my life. And that's that's a whole other podcast episode that I can do. But yeah, sometimes edges just need to be examined and dealt with. Number six, many times exercise really is the best medicine. If you're a listener of the podcast, you have heard me talk about this relationship I've had with exercise and my body and the on-again, off-again exercising. And more recently, what has happened is, so as many of you know, I took two years off of exercising. It was kind of, it was kind of dramatic, like throw down moment I had where I was like, never again will I exercise for the sole purpose of having exercise change the shape of my body. And that happens a lot when we exercise. And for some people that matters. And for me, I needed to deal with some stuff. And quitting for two years was the process that I went through. I don't think it's for everyone. (laughs) It's the experience that I had. I watched my cholesterol numbers go up. And coming from a family with a history of uh, coronary artery disease at a youngish age, my dad had quadruple bypass surgery when he was 58. And actually, I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet. I recently went to my doctor and said, I have not had the best diet in my life. I eat a lot of red meat, or actually used to more so than I do now. I've gone through periods where I didn't exercise. I have abused my body with alcohol. I wonder if my dad, at 43, 44 years old, if they would have seen buildup in his arteries at at that age, you know, given that he had a massive heart surgery, a quadruple bypass at age 58. And then they saw, he went in for chest pain. They saw what was happening and it was the next day that he had surgery. And my doctor said, probably. So I went in for a coronary artery calcium scan, CACS. It was $150 out of pocket. The insurance didn't pay for it, but I personally felt like it was something that I wanted to do. My doctor said, I probably wouldn't send you to do this. Just so I, it was something I insisted on. I also have this other sort of, um, I don't think It's actually not rare, but it's just not talked about very much. It's called lipoprotein little a. If anyone's in the medical field, you might know what it is. It's basically this very sticky protein that everyone has that carries your bad cholesterol to your arteries. And most people have a very low amount of it. And some people, and I don't think it's a very small number, it's like 10% or more of people have way higher numbers than normal abnormally high numbers of lipoprotein little a this sticky um particle and it was super weird on a hunch this doctor that I had when I was in my 20s because he heard about the about my dad and his history and he's like I wonder if this is if you have this so he it's a simple blood test C- turns out I have four times the amount of this Protein. So, anyway, long story short, I did not plan on telling that story. It's always something that's been in the back of my mind. And, but your, if you have this, by the way, your cholesterol numbers could come out perfectly normal. So it doesn't matter that your cholesterol numbers are. It, it's like it's basically you have four times the amount of cars on the freeway, like taking taking the bad cholesterol to your heart, and. Uh, do you guys know who Bob? What's his name? The guy from The Biggest Loser. I don't like that show, but Bob Harper is that his name? He had a heart attack at the gym, and turns out he has this. And so it came up on my radar again. I did a research paper on it when I was in college, and so I knew that there wasn't a whole lot of research on it. It's not really talked about all that much. So anyway, long story short, I went to the doctor. I had the scan, and I was clear. And it made me happy, obviously, but. It was that, you know, I'm I'm 44 now, and it's kind of like, okay, now's the time to think about those types of things and really look at, you know, even when I was in my 30s, I was like, what? Heart disease. That's for old people, not me. And now it's something that I'm thinking about, given that it's in my family. So all that to say, this was longer than I thought it was going to be. Exercise is a non-negotiable for me, absolutely positively. It manages my anxiety. It is going to keep my heart healthy and I want to be old. I want to be old and able to, I remember when I was in college and they used to talk a lot about functional movement for the baby boomers and I was like, that's boring. And now I'm like, okay, so I don't get hurt when I get out of bed in the morning because that happens sometimes. So I don't get injured while I'm putting my shoes on. <laughs> my husband and I joke about that all the time. Like, God damn it. Got hurt. Time of shoes today. So exercise many times really is the best medicine.
3: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.
1: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings who sometimes feel
0: stuck. And now we're back. Number seven, the voice in my head that tells me I'm not enough is a liar. Well, that just really ties back to The Inner Critic. As you probably heard me talk about this before, worthiness and feeling enough is universal. It's a thing that I think every single human struggles with from on one side of the spectrum to another in various parts of their life. And I, this is the very short version, I truly believe that it is a lifelong progression that we're on, that we work on that. And there are going to be some times in your life where you feel great about yourself, where you absolutely feel enough and worthy and shame resilience. You've got it down. And there are other times where it's a little bit more of a struggle. And that's my experience that's, you know, and I'm friends with a lot of people who are in this industry and that's pretty much, you know, I'm thinking about that's everyone's experience. Everyone experiences times where you feel like you're not enough. It is about recognizing it and working on it. I have so much to say about that. So many more things for another podcast episode. Number eight, progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. Progress, not perfection. That's one of the many, many sayings from 12-step programs that I love more than anything. Number nine, if I listen, my body is usually trying to tell me something. For me, learning how to listen to my body, and that means just my body in general, my intuition, et cetera, does take paying attention. And sometimes that doesn't look like regular meditation or going out into nature and walking in the grass with my bare feet. I love those things. Don't get me wrong. But I go through periods of time where I don't do that, and it really, truly... I, I don't want to say I don't see a massive difference. I just think that there are seasons in your life where that might matter more. And some seasons where you're going along and you're like, nope, I can. I also just think it comes with experience as I'm getting older. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what that is. And also, I feel like the more we listen to it, the more we practice listening to it, and the more we honor it, the faster we are at catching it. I hope, I hope that made sense, but it really, it goes back to practice, practice, practice. Number 10, I only apologize when I really, truly can stand behind it. And maybe, you know, there are times where I say sorry, and it's still, still old habits die hard. But when I am giving someone a genuine, true apology, I give them the gift of being fully present As I am telling them that I'm sorry. And that goes back to number one, cleaning up my own messes. I think that when we do that, when we concentrate on apologizing, when we truly can stand behind it, our apologies mean more, they're more genuine. And we've all, I think, had someone apologize to us when we know that they don't mean it. They're just, it's just lip service To me, um, that almost feels shittier than not getting one in the first place. It's like, no, 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 no. Take just here's your money back. Like, I don't want, I don't want want your glib apology. Take that and shove it up your ass. No. So I try my best again. It's just, it's it's about being humble. It's about truly, truly being kind and graceful in how you show up. Number eleven. There will always be people that don't like me and it's not my job to change their minds. This is a tough one. This is still tough for me. It's it's definitely a one day at a time lesson, but I do also feel as I've gotten older and as I've done more work on myself, there's still that sting of, ouch, why? Why, why you don't like me? Why would I do? But what's different now is that I catch myself before I, think about or try to do things to hustle and get them to like me instead of apologizing when I don't need to or bending over backwards or kissing up or anything like that, I pay attention to when it's happening and ask myself the question. I just get curious about it. Ask myself the question, like, does it, do I really value this friendship? Like, do I really need that person to like me? Why? Why is it so important? And it typically is just an ego thing. I, it goes back to probably that primal part of my brain that just doesn't want to be cast out and rejected. You know, like this is, that's real in our brains and it and it's normal it's a part of humanity it's part of the human experience but just get curious about it i have found just curiosity that needs to be another one if it's not on the list it's going to be <laughs> just get curious just pay attention to me that is mindfulness mindfulness to me is not sitting with my legs crossed with my hands outstretched you know like oh the wind is blowing on my face and it's a cool 78 degrees and there's someone talking. Like, I don't have time for that, y'all. I just, that is not who I am. Paying, mindfulness to me is paying attention to my thoughts. It's paying attention to physiological reactions that are happening in my body and getting curious about them when it comes to just things I'm experiencing, to conversations I'm having, having to things I'm reading, like all of that, it's about paying attention. Number 12, my parents did the best they could with what they had at that time. And as parents, that's all we can do. I think he, we all get to a certain point where we have got to stop blaming our parents for shit. And yes, trauma therapy is a real thing. And some of y'all have had had difficult childhoods and difficult relationships with your parents. And that sucks. I just want to pause for a moment for all y'all. That isn't fair. It isn't fair that you didn't get the childhood that every kid deserves. It's not fucking fair. And at the same time, I think we get to a point where, again, it's about taking responsibility for what you can do now. It doesn't dismiss what has happened to you. It doesn't negate if your parents were shitty, if they didn't have the tools, but I think forgiveness can go a long way. And I also think that sometimes forgiveness needs to happen over and over again. And I just think that there, again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier There's so much power and freedom in taking responsibility with what you can do going forward. I am a huge believer in trauma therapy. I'm a huge believer in just therapy in general. You have to find the right kind of therapy. There's all different kinds. You have to find the right therapist and you have to commit to the process. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard people say, I didn't like my therapist and I kept going because I didn't know how to quit the relationship or I only went a couple of times and didn't feel like I was getting a whole lot out of it, so I quit. I, by the way, I have a podcast episode on how to find the right therapist and how to get the most out of therapy. I'll pop that in the show notes because I feel like you have got to find someone that you trust and that you resonate with and that also, if you need it, specializes in exactly what it is that you need help with and setting an intention in the beginning and saying, this is what I want to get out of that. And I hope to God that that therapist is honest with you and says, okay, here's what we can work on. And you know, it's not a magic pill. Da, 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 da. Here's how I work. Here's how I, here's what I think could, could happen for you. And you, they're, they're out there. They exist. And please listen to that podcast episode. If you think that you need it. Number 13, we got two more. Number 13, forgiveness is more about me and not them. Who forgive? Forgiveness? (sighs) (laughs) Oh, just when I feel like I've forgiven someone, like I get bit on the ass and then I'm like, what? Gotta go through this again? And it's always about me and not them. Do your best to forgive the people that Have harmed you, even if they never asked for forgiveness, because most likely they won't, even if they have never apologized, even if they're still out being an asshole, it is for you. It says everything about you and it says nothing about them. They don't need to know that you're working on it. They don't don't need to know. And number 14, time doesn't really heal all wounds. I'm in charge of that. Time helps, but being proactive is the catalyst. If I had a dollar, for every time someone told me when I was going through the shit storm that was 2006 for me, time heals all wounds. I would have a lot of dollars because, and I would look at them and say, "Really." because I don't believe you. And I, I, I just, I feel for the people who, who bought into that and thought, okay, if I just need to, I just need to have a few years under my belt and then I'll be good. And then they have a few years under their belt and they're like, what the actual fuck? Who lied to me? No, this isn't healing. I feel like you gain distance from it and it loses its potency. But if you still have resentment and, pain and trauma and all of these things and these made up stories about why it happened and and all, that sticks around. That sticks around. And I'm a true believer that that bleeds into the rest of your life. It bleeds into your relationships, to your intimate relationships, your relationships with your friends and coworkers and children, if you have them. And I just don't think that It's the end-all, be-all. It doesn't heal all wounds. You are the catalyst. You are absolutely in charge of your own healing. And I think that that's why you're here, right? That's why you listen to a podcast called Your Kick-Ass Life. And thank you for being here. That is the first 14. Next time, I will give you 14 more. And happy birthday to me! Don't forget to go to kickasslifecom slash birthday to enter. It's free, y'all. It costs $0 for you to enter the drawing to win a bunch of prizes and celebrate with me. I am so happy that you are here and grateful that you spend your time with me. And until next time, ask kickers, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.